today we get to hear from Pastor Doug Payne. He's been the pastor at the Branch Church for three years, and the Branch is part of the Northwest Church Planting Network, the same network that we're part of, a group of churches who believe that local churches should be planting new and supporting other local churches. So you'll hear the same gospel preached at these churches, and you'll see a very similar ecclesiology, a very similar way of ordering the church uh, as we follow Jesus. Doug and his wife Bridget have four kids, and we're thankful to hear what God has prepared him to say today. So our prayer is that we would have uh, ears to hear and that God would be glorified in, through his, the preaching of his word today. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Oh, man, I need you to come to my church and teach my church how to say good morning because I get crickets when I say good morning to our church. So, man, it's really good to be with you all. Uh, I bring greetings from the Branch Church, even though I just mocked them. <laughs> they do send their greetings to you. Uh, we are so thankful to be in the same network of churches as you all. And uh, just like Ryan prayed, uh, we pray for you frequently uh, from our pastoral prayers. So down in Corvallis, uh, just know that you're prayed for by a like-minded church who I'm so glad I get to put faces to, to the church that we pray for. I'm very thankful for you all and for... God establishing a witness here in the Capitol. Um, I don't need this because there's a timer right there in red. That's good. Um, uh, we are from Corvallis, and my, kids, two, my two sons, nine and seven, play soccer uh, in Corvallis uh, for Alliance. And they said, Dad, uh, when you go, you shouldn't tell them you're from Corvallis. Because what if they boo? They, they might boo you when you get up there, because we play kids from Salem, and they don't like us. But thanks for not booing us this morning. I'm very thankful to be here. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 28. Uh, Nick and Hans uh, asked uh, me to speak uh, on, on what the mission of the church is, on, on discipleship, uh, how, what it is, and how we can think about it practically. And uh, there aren't too many better places to go than um, Jesus' last words to his disciples in Matthew. So we're going to talk about the church's authority to disciple. The church's authority to disciple. Um, my first lead pastor job was in, uh, de- in a church in downtown Bellevue, Washington uh, in 2016. And if you want to know what Bellevue is like, just imagine the Truman Show, and that's it. <laughs> it's like the Disneyland of cities. Like, uh, you know, it, it's as if there's no trash on the ground. All the trees and bushes are trimmed perfectly. It's just like a perfect place to live. And when I went there to preach the first time, I brought my son, Orion, who is much smaller than he is now. And we went, and after church, we walked through the park. And we've been living in Portland uh, during this time. And uh, we walked through the park and Orion said, Dad, where are all the homeless people? There are no homeless people in Bellevue. Everything is neat and tidy. And the church that I went to actually wanted the, the church to reflect the city. It would be very tidy and neat. And the question I got asked the most was, what is your vision for the church? As you're coming in here, uh, they had just gone through firing a pastor, and they were bringing a new pastor in, and we were wondering, is this thing going to work or not? And, and what they wanted to know is, are you going to tidy this place up by bringing your vision for the church? You know, 
as if, uh, you, you know, I was Bill Gates coming into Microsoft or, or something like that. I was going to clean it up with my vision, mission, and values. Is the pastor going to institute all of this? And fellow pastors would ask me the same thing in the area. Like, what's your discipleship engine? What are you going to do for this church? Uh, it's not necessarily a bad question. What, what is your vision for the church? Because if a pastor says, here's my vision I'm going to institute, and it looks anything different than Matthew 28, 19, and 20, you should run from that church. What Jesus has for the church is, is success for the church is discipleship. And, and oftentimes what lurks behind the question of what's your vision for the church or what are you going to do to, to make this church healthy and strong, oftentimes what lurks behind that question is, is our misunderstandings of what church success is and who it is that can, can get it there, who, who can make the church healthy and grow and big. And, and uh, we might think that success depends on personalities or programs, but relying on personalities leads to disappointment. And relying on programs, I, I want to argue, leads to failure. Now, I'm saying all this as a pastor who constantly battles anxiety and worry about the state of our church. So... When people leave, I wonder, what am I doing wrong? Uh, you know, when there are problems in the church, I wonder, what are you doing, Lord? Is this really just preaching and discipling? Is this what you want for the church? So having pastors like, like Hans and, and Nick in my life is, is very helpful. So thank you for how you free them up to, to minister to other pastors. Uh, they help me in my life to point me back to Jesus and to passages like Matthew 28, 18 through 20 that remind me and us that the growth and the success of the church is not finally up to me or your pastor or anyone else. And in my better moments, I can say that I believe that. And with all sincerity, I do believe that. But unfortunately for me, my life is chalked full of not better moments. So, so hear this from a failing pastor who doesn't always act like he believes this. The success of this church rests on the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head. Lauren read that for us this morning. He's the head of the, the church. God gave him to us as our head. He's the leader. He's the, he's the one out in front. He's our general. He's our, he's our, he's our king. He's our, he's our God who is out in front leading us. And so I want to convince you that you can pour your life out working for him, discipling other people in this church and in Salem and beyond because the, head, the success of this church rests on the head of this church. So what does success in this church look like? What's success in the Christian life? What's success in this corporate body of believers? Well, it's believing, hearing, believing, and obeying all that Jesus commands. Success is faithfully following Jesus in your, in your walk with him, not only as individuals, but as a corporate body. That is what a disciple is and does, faithfully following Jesus. And I, I believe this is what Jesus is telling us to do through his disciples. He's telling his disciples, but he's telling us, go make more disciples like yourself. That's the job. That's what success looks like. Follow Jesus and make more disciples that follow him. 
This is our one job. And this will be the one thing we focus on this morning. We're going to do it in four points. Disciple with confidence, disciple without discrimination, disciple with each other, and disciple with the gospel. Disciple with confidence, disciple without discrimination, disciple with each other, and disciple with the gospel. Now hear the word of God to you. Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, the very mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, some hesitated. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, all the days to the end of the age. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So I believe this text is telling us to do one thing, make disciples. That's the main verb there in the passage, make disciples. Do it by going, baptizing, teaching. Do it as a result of people coming to faith in him through baptizing and teaching them to deserve all things. So we're going to decide, how do we do this? Can we go in confidence? Can we, do we have any confidence that we'll have success as we go? In verse 16, we see that the people were just like us. The disciples were just like us. They worship, but they hesitated. They obeyed Jesus's words and, and showed up on the mountain, but they hesitated to see this one who was dead and is now alive. And in one sense, it's a, it's a comfort that they, they hesitated because we're just like them. But Jesus still has a commission and a confidence for them. He still has something, even though they were hesitant and doubtful, he still has something for them to do. So go in confidence. How, how do you gain confidence in this life? I wonder. You think about your life. What is your confidence? How do you gain it? Where do you get confidence? We're, we're told by self-help gurus to visualize what we want, and we'll get it. If you believe it, you can achieve it. We're told by others to just be more assertive. If you assert yourself, you will gain confidence, and you'll get what you want. And for some of us, friends, our confidence actually comes from others. Our, our confidence depends wholly on the approval and compliments of others. But the Lord Jesus directs his disciples, and so Mission Fellowship here in Salem, he directs his disciples and you to find confidence in himself. Our confidence is in the authority and presence of God. I want to show you that from the verses here in verse 18. Notice that the resurrected Jesus says to the doubting worshipers, 
or those who are worshiping and those who are doubting, that the success of the church rests on the head of the church. So verse 18, he came to them and said, all authority. And that, that little word all sort of drives this whole passage. You can see, I try to even emphasize it in my reading, that all authority is given to me, so go to all nations, teach them to observe all things, and I'm with you all the days. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And confidence in anything besides the authority of Jesus is misplaced confidence when it comes to discipling and the mission of the church. That applies to all of life, but especially the mission of the church. So what is this authority that God has that you're supposed to have confidence in? Well, from the lexicon, it says of the authority that is here in Matthew 28 is freedom of choice, right to act, decide, or dispose of one's property as one wishes. It comes to mean here authority or absolute power. And it's used here of Jesus' absolute authority. You'll remember back in Matthew 4-7, if you've read this book before, that the devil, in contrast, comes to Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, and said to him, I, I, will, I will give you, I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. The devil could not promise heaven and earth, but he could promise the kingdoms of earth. Jesus doesn't argue with him. But I just want to point out to you that in contrast to Jesus' actual authority from God the Father is this authority offered by the devil. It was tawdry and weak. This is exactly the kind of thing he offered Adam and Eve. You can have authority over your life. You can be your own God. But it's, it's flashy, but cheap. The authority given to Jesus from God the Father was an absolute authority in heaven and earth. The only thing he didn't control was God the Father, because he's God the Father. The extent of the authority is heaven and earth. This is a figure of speech for us, friends, that emphasizes all authority. Jesus has it. Where's your confidence? Does it rest in him or something else? Your own abilities? Other, other people telling you you're great? Does it rest in anything besides Jesus? Jesus is saying, it rests in me alone. Don't you get tired of politicians making promises they cannot keep? Even worse are politicians that make promises they have no business making. Jesus only makes promises he can keep. So, Go make disciples of all nations. You can have every confidence in the world that the success of the church rests in the head of the church, in his authority. But you not only have to have, only have confidence in his authority, you can also have confidence in his presence. If you look down to verse 20, notice that Jesus says to his disciples, and behold, I'm with you always. Not only do I have all authority, I'm with you all the days. Your confidence to go and tell other people about Jesus, help other people follow Jesus by obeying all of his commands, comes not only from his authority, but from his very presence with you. He is with you. 
friend. If you trust in Jesus, you have his spirit. And you see how this flows from his authority because he has authority over life and death, because he has authority over heaven and earth, because he is omnipresent. He can make this promise, I will be with you all your days. Friend, this is a promise. I just want to, I want to assure you that I'm not making this up. This is a promise that's traced throughout Scripture. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise for you. In Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8, we see one of the first times uh, God, Yahweh, is promising Abraham, is making a covenant with Abraham. He, he made a promise to him that his offspring would be great, that he would be blessed and a blessing to all nations. And the greatest part of this promise is that he, he would be his God. God would be Abraham's God and Abraham's children's God. I will be their God. It was a a promise of his presence with them. Now, as the narrative of Scripture advances and the story, the plot line of of the Bible moves on into Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God sets up reminders in particular places where he would manifest his presence And all of that was pointing to this great truth. I will never leave you or forsake you. You can see my presence in the tabernacle. I will will let my glory dwell there. You can see it in the the Ark of the Covenant. You can can see it where, where he lets his glory dwell there for at least a time. I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell with you. But it was only temporary. It was a temporary thing. So Moses, as he leads his people out of Exodus and, and God's presence goes before them, Moses eventually dies and goes into, before they go into the promised land. And what would the new leader Joshua need? What, what would he need before uh, he takes the reins and leads them? Well, he would need confidence in the presence of God, that this covenant promise was going to be fulfilled and God was going to continue his presence with him. So Joshua 1.9, the, the angel of the Lord of hosts says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? Why should I? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Friends, this is particularly for me uh, in a very frightening time in my life in the eighth grade when we had just moved from Rogue River, Oregon to Kent, Washington, and I was going to a new school, and I was afraid. I didn't know people. I, 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 I didn't want to go to school. And the one thing my mom did, moms, do this with your kids. She sat down with me and she read this verse. She was reminding me of the covenant presence of God that those thousands of years ago, he promised, I won't ever leave you or forsake you. And now, Doug, as you go to school and you don't know anybody and you're afraid, God's presence will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The Bible story, the plot advances, the story continues, and Israel gets their king, and the greatest king, David, decides to build God a house. 
The long story short is that God says, you will not build me a house, David, but I will build you a house. Your son will build a house for me, but I am going to build you a house, which is a play on words for saying that God would establish David's kingly line forever. And you see the promise continue in 2 Samuel 7, 13 and 14. And God says of that son of David, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. God is continuing the covenant promise through the line of David. But we all know, don't we, that the the kingly line, the earthly kingly line fails and God's people are sent into exile. So so what's going to happen to God's people, God's promise? Will he be able to keep his promise if all the kings are exiled or killed? And we come to the end of the Old Testament in Malachi. It ends with a threat of destruction unless the hearts of the fathers and their children are turned toward each other. And as you turn the page from Malachi to Matthew, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, we see the way God will turn the hearts of his people. It is through the covenant-keeping God come in flesh. He is the son of David, Matthew 1 tells us. He is the son of Abraham. And Matthew 1.23 tells us he shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. The covenant promise is being fulfilled in this one Jesus Christ. And the whole book of Matthew and the whole Bible in one sense is a story of God keeping his promise to dwell with his people. And so when you come to the end in Revelation 21.3, it tells us of the completion of this promise. Jesus assures us that what is happening now, that that is happening now. In Revelation 21.3, Jesus' promise, God's promise, comes to final fulfillment in the end of time. And he says this, John the Revelator, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Friend, as you go in discipleship, whether it's to the nations across the seas, or it's across your street to your neighbor, or over the cubicle in your workspace, you can go with a very confidence that God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has all authority, and he is with you wherever you go. The success of the church rests on the head of the church. Now, friends, that's, that's the basis. I should have said this before, but my first point's my longest point. I'm funneling down until my last point's going to be really short, okay? So all of you have, like, worried faces on it. You've been going 20 minutes, and you're not even out of your first point. I'm getting there, okay? I'm working on it. So having given us the basis for this commission, he now moves on to the specifics of the commission. Who, who are we to make disciples of? In the second half of verse 19, Jesus tells them who, are they, who they are to go to. And you can read it there. It says, all nations. It, it's really make disciples, like I said before, is the main verb, as you go. 
Make disciples of all nations. So we're saying without discrimination, without bias. His authority in his presence leads to us, leads to this fulfillment of the covenant. Um, The final verses of Matthew, uh, D.A. Carson says, now return to its opening covenantal theme. Jesus is the son of promise. He's the son of Abraham. And and, and now he's telling his disciples, go make disciples of the nations. So in Genesis 12, 3, we we see that God promised Abraham that, that, he promised him this. In him, that in Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Jesus is the final fulfillment of all of God's promises, including this very big promise. All the nations will be blessed in him. And now Jesus is coming, and his life, and his death, and his resurrection, and all the authority that comes with him, and his promised presence, he's telling them, uh, you now are, are, are going to fulfill this, this very inclusive and universal plan that I've had from the beginning. Go and make disciples of everyone. It's a complete takeover, friends. And now his authority and his presence compel like the, the wind that drives the sail on the sea. It's the, it's the fuel that propels the engine. It's, the, it's like the love of beauty that drives the artist to paint. The commission shows the Father's heart for those he created, all those he created. It is Psalm 67 that our dear sister read for us this morning, or will read. Have you read it, or will you read it? I can't remember. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Bless us so that the nations might bless you. And now he's blessed us in Christ as the fulfillment of the promise. And when you, dear friend from Mission Fellowship in Salem, when you go out, to disciple, just as you go along your way, you can go with this very confidence. You are part of the fulfillment of God's big covenant promise to Abraham. You're, you're going out and you're to all the nations. You, you make disciples not just by bringing people into church and, and, and getting people in the pews and, uh, or just adding to your friend group. It's something way, way bigger than that. You are participating in the fulfillment of a covenant promise God gave way back then that all the peoples might praise him. All of them. There must be no discrimination of who hears and who is compelled to repent and believe. This is not a religion for just a certain few. It's not just for the Jewish people or one ethnic group. It is for all the nation, pantata ethna, all ethnicities. You might ask, well, where should we focus our attention? You know, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the strategy here? What's the, what's the most strategic way for us to advance the gospel? Go to everywhere. Go to everyone everywhere. That... Jesus wants us to a complete takeover with the gospel of love, of grace, to sweep across the nations. Now that starts with the people you know. That's the principle of proximity, right? If, uh, if the kids in my neighborhood get fed, but my kids starve, if I feed the kids in my neighborhood, but my kids starve, I'm a bad dad. 
The principle of proximity tells us that we start with the people you know that are closest to you. And it spreads out from there. As we go, we take this love with all confidence in God's authority and his presence, knowing we can go to all nations based in this because of who he is. So go to the nations. Go with all confidence because the success of the church rests on Jesus, the head of the church. So we, we go everywhere. Now, I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you, uh, but there are oftentimes there are people that we avoid. Sometimes there, maybe there's people in your neighborhood or your workplace that uh, you avoid for different reasons. I don't know what they are. I don't know you. I don't know. I don't even know where you work. Your or your neighborhood. Sometimes we can we can be afraid of a certain ethnic group of people. Or, or we can be afraid of the LGBT community. But God has told us to go to everyone, everywhere. We can take the gospel of love and, and grace, and, and these people are created, all of them are created in God's image, and he wants us to take it to them because he has some of them that he wants to save. So let's go with all confidence. We're not... We're not trying to make people a, a, a certain group of people or fit into a certain denomination. Or uh, We're inviting them into our lives. That's what Jesus did. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. The, the, the disparity of these two, like Peter and, and, and Judas, and, and they, they were like politically, they were, they were at odds with, with each other. Some, some of them were. We're not trying to advance a, a certain political party. We're, we're trying to tell people that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. We can go with all confidence to everyone, everywhere. So, dear friend, maybe you're, God has started to put missions on your heart. And you're like, I don't, I don't know if I should go, but I have this like, I have this interest in going. You should talk to one of your pastors and explore that a little bit more. That might be God telling you to give up your life to go to the nations across the the oceans to bring the gospel to people that have never heard. And there are people that have never heard and will never hear unless you go tell them. The success of the church rests on the head of the church, and the means he uses is disciples, making disciples. So go. Going's the easy part. <laughs> Buying the ticket, the plane ticket, I'll buy that for you. Going is easy. It's, it's getting there and living and, and getting into people's lives and the mess of sin and other religions and, and, and our own idolatry that gets in the way, but you can have every confidence Jesus is with you. So go. But Okay. The success of the church rests on the head of the church. This is the job for people who are committed to each other. This might be my most controversial point. Uh, and uh, some I'm going to have to do some work on. So stick with me here, okay? Disciple with each other. In 2819, Jesus is telling his disciples to go and make disciples. And as you do that, as they respond to the gospel message and repentance and faith, I want you to baptize them, and then I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you. 
And I think it, Christians intuit this, like what I'm about to say is that we disciple with each other. How is baptism connecting uh, individual Christians' response to Jesus to other people? I, I think we misunderstand it oftentimes because we're not taught or we don't think about it. Or, or because we set aside the church for some other programs or institutions. It, it, this may be uh, the, the sin of radical individualism that causes us to bristle at the notion that the Great Commission belongs to the church worked out through its members. So how does baptism teach us that we are discipled together? Friends, baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality that we have been given a new heart. The new covenant sign is a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. And that outward sign that other people, that shows that other people know, that can show other people and they can know that we are Christians is baptism. It's just an outward sign. It doesn't save us. It doesn't do anything for us. It's a sign that we belong to the new people of God. And we have God's name on us. God's people have always believed this. Acts 2, 37 through 38, and then verse 41 shows us that even from the very beginning, in Acts 2, when Peter preaches at Pentecost, he, he, he preaches powerfully and people say, what should we do in response to this? They're cut to the heart and said to them, and Peter says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins or, or for showing that you have been forgiven of your sins, that you've repented. And he says, you will receive the Holy Ghost. And then verse 41 says, so those who received his word were baptized. Uh, it, was, it was just natural. The, the New Testament, the Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't have a category for someone who is a Christian who has repented of their sins but refuses baptism. It doesn't say baptism saves them. It doesn't, you know, the thief, the thief on the cross is an exception to the rule, not the rule. He says they were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the church. Added to the people of God. So he's connecting baptism to an addition to people. They're, they're now on the rolls. They're now joining in with the people of God for the mission of God, which is to make disciples of everyone who will follow Jesus. And this is just the, this is just the first command to follow. So these new disciples joined the church through baptism. They were added to the church by grace through faith, the big C, capital C church, by grace through faith in Christ alone. And they were identified by God's people through repentance shown in their baptism. They were baptized and added to the number of those in Jerusalem who were already the church. So according to Jesus, baptism is the first step of obedience in your new life with Christ. Once you repented of your sins and turned to him, he says, now follow me in baptism. Now, I know we have baptismal classes, and, and that's a matter of prudence and, and to make sure someone understands the gospel and has repented of their sins. Uh, I'm more looking for the heart here. Have, have you turned towards Jesus? Do you want to follow him in, in baptism, in the waters of baptism, which simply picture the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and your, your completion, your, your, 
your connection to him in that. But it shows everyone else you're saved because you are following Jesus' words. So those of you who say you follow Jesus but have no interest in baptism, I'd just consider if you follow Jesus. Those of you who are baptized, dear friends, can look back on your baptism because it's an outward sign of an inward reality and remember, I really died and rose again with Jesus. My baptism was a, a public declaration of that. And Jesus says baptism is an important part of discipleship. So this is how we disciple together. We join in together through following Jesus and whatever he's commanded us to do. And a baptism is just that first command. So the early church in, in Acts understood it to be connected to your discipleship so closely that they would say it like this. What should we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What's the outward sign of that? It's, it's baptism. It's a beautiful sign as God puts his covenant name on you. It's like an adoption ceremony where, where God says, you are mine. I'm putting my name on you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Friends, it's a, it's a covenant sign. It, it, it shows our connection to him. And I pray this coming year, there would be more baptisms in this church. You would have the joy of seeing people come to Christ and, and enter the waters of baptism and join your church so that you might disciple together with each other. The sex, sex, oh my goodness. Edit that out. The success of this church rests on the head of this church. The success of this church rests on the head of this church. So we have already said that to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. To be a, a disciple is to follow his example. Yes, but follow everything he commands. So la last point here, okay? In verse 20, disciple with the gospel. Disciple with the gospel. Everything, all things that I have commanded you. No Christian outgrows or outruns their need for the gospel. It is both the on-ramp to the Christian life and the highway of the Christian life. The good news of God comes in the flesh to justify sinful people by grace through faith alone. It's, it's, it's the means by which God could have a covenant people called the church. The gospel is not only the highway, it is also the fuel in the car. Being a disciple is following Jesus. Right, So our discipleship, being a disciple is following Jesus. And that modern-day Puritan Mark Dever said it like this, discipling is helping others follow Jesus. If you knew me, you'd know Puritan is not a, 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 a pejorative. Puritan, for me, is mostly a good word. But we are called to disciple with the gospel. The good news that God will not judge you for your sins is the only way we will be motivated to obey him, right? So we look at this in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we look at that and we're like, oh my goodness, there's so much. There's so much he's commanded, right? Have you read the Bible? Like there's a lot there. 
He, I have to teach them everything. And, and here's, here's the point, friends. Everything in the Bible, the whole Bible is one story of redemption. And from beginning to end, I tried to trace that for you with that, that covenant theme of presence. The whole Bible is one story from beginning to end, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. It's all telling this one story about how Jesus came to redeem mankind from their sins, to bring them to himself. It's all about that. It's the, so that's why we're word-centered. So as you, as you teach everything he's commanded, it's in this framework of one story of redemption. And the interpretive key to that story Jesus tells us in Luke 24, 27 is himself. Jesus said as they went with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they said, haven't you been around? Don't you know what happened to our, our, our man, Jesus? He died and he's no longer with us. And Jesus says, oh, you foolish and slow of heart. Don't you know that all of these things had to happen according to the scriptures? All of these things had to happen, and he opened the Psalms and the writings, and he showed how every one of them pointed to himself. Jesus is the interpretive key to all of us, and we need to be wise in how we go from a passage in Joshua to, to the cross, but be sure that all roads lead to the cross. When we disciple with the gospel, we're, we can use the whole Bible. We can pick up anywhere and we can disciple someone with the Bible, the whole Bible. We're word-centered. We're gospel. We're, we're Christ-centered. Christ is the interpretive key. And, and we're gospel-centered. That whole story, the redemptive line of the story of the Bible is what we're pointing to. So friends, the good news that God will not judge you for your sins is, is the news that you should be, that we ought to be discipling with, that Mission Fellowship is and should continue to be discipling with. It's the only way you will not be discouraged when you fail to obey him. The, the whole Bible, there's lots of commands in there. I failed even this morning. And it is the gospel that brings me back on track. And it's, it's you, dear brothers and sisters, who sang to me this morning that there is more mercy in Christ than sin in me. His mercy is more. And the gospel is how we disciple one another. Did you know you were discipling me while you were singing? You were discipling each other. Because you had a week, didn't you? Some of you had a week. You had a year. And the Holy Spirit, working through the gospel, brought you here this morning to say, to other people, I'm trusting in his mercy more than I'm looking at my sin. Now, friends, that encourages brothers and sisters, brothers like me and sisters that sit next to you. You're discipling one another with the gospel. We do not have time to talk about everything he commands this morning. That would be a very long sermon. But we, we, we do want to think about, just practically at the end here, how, how do we help people observe everything that he has commanded? That's the job of the church over a long period of time. So keep bringing your kids to church. Keep bringing them to church. Don't, 
when you go on vacation, find a church to, to worship with if you're able to. When you go home over, over dinner or over lunch, talk about what you learned in Sunday school and, and from the sermon and from the songs you sang and from the people you talked to. But friends, that's just the beginning. Sunday seminars and Sunday morning sermons are the primary way we do these things, but that's just the beginning. It works out in the life of the church. It's needed out like, like you need... Why do I do this? Okay, I'm, I want to say you need bread. Uh, as you need... What do you need into the, the dough? But what do you need into it? Yeast? Why do I do that? I start with this, and then I don't even know what I'm talking about. But you need, you know, this is what happens. We, we, we need into each other, just like yeast into dough. I hope that's right. Uh, we cannot full, but, but friends, we can't fully program this, right? We, we can't fully program. It, programs are great. We, we need this. I, I read a book with uh, f- uh, five guys every uh, Wednesday morning, and we just read a book on theology. And it's great, but it's for us, for me, it's a way of sharing our life together about what we read. And that, that's what discipleship is. If you've noticed, as you read about Jesus' life and his biographies, um, best, there are four really good biographies of Jesus. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You should read them. <laughs> but if you've read about that, you'll just notice Jesus says, hey, just follow me as I'm doing life. You won't have a place to lay your head. Don't worry about it. Uh, we, we might have food to eat. It'll be fine. But just come along with me. F- follow me. Follow my footsteps. Rabbis didn't do that. It was always students who came to rabbis and said, hey, can I follow you? But now Jesus, with his new authority, says, come follow me. Come eat my dust, basically. Follow me around as I'm, I'm stirring up dust and walking around, and you can see how I love people, how I heal people, how, how I'm the son of God and son of man. Now you go with that same authority and you say, follow me as I follow Jesus. So discipling doesn't happen just from seven to eight, but the, for the rest, of, the rest of the week is for me. Discipling is a bit more like raising kids. You do it when you rise and when you lie down and when you walk in the way. It's a, it's a way of life, not a time card you punch. So the next time you do an errand, friend, Think of someone you want to help follow Jesus and invite them on that errand. You're going to Home Depot or you're going shopping or, you know, when you invite someone over for a meal, invite them over early and say, hey, do you mind helping me chop the carrots or take out the trash? Friends, you you don't realize, but I'm more willing to do that in your house than I am in mine, right? I mean, everyone knows that, right? So, it's, it's, but it's also a way of discipling. Let's, let's do this together. Let's do life together, and we'll talk about Jesus on the way. Think about it intentionally. How am I going to intentionally uh, need the Bible into my relationships, into the things I talk about, into the, to the ways I act? I, I want you to come over to my house, and I want you to see the way I interact with my kids, and then, you know, I want you to be able to talk about that, either good or bad. What? What he commissions us to do is to be faithful to the task. And I think sometimes we make the task too hard. Well, I have to be discipled before I can go disciple. And, and, and certainly that is true in some senses. But Jesus is just saying, go. Disciple. Bring people along with you. Read the Bible with them. Read a Christian book with them. Have a meal with them. 
Talk about life. Talk about the highs and the lows. My favorite story of, this was me. So when I say, I think I need to be discipled before I can disciple, that was me in my 20s. And I started, we started going to church while I was in seminary in South Carolina, in Greenville, South Carolina. And, uh, and my pastor, it was a new church plan about the, it was, it was the same age as this church when we were there, about 11, 10, 11 years old. And uh, I, w- I was in seminary, I traveled about 45 minutes to go to seminary, and my pastor said, hey, Doug, can, can I go with you to seminary? Because I just want to spend time with you. Just, I'll drive with you there and back. I'll study in the library while you're there, and then we'll drive back together. And every day, for 45 minutes, one way, one way, it was either there or back. It just depended. But we would pray together for like 15, 20, 30 minutes. That brother was discipling me. He was just spending time with me. We had fun. We had laughs. We, we ate at Subway. I mean, uh, you know, we, we did life together, and then we prayed together, and, and that was it. That's the most effective, some of the most effective discipleship I've ever had in my life. You can do that. And you can do it with all confidence because Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. He died and rose again. He, he lives forevermore. He ascended, and he's at the right hand of the Father. You can do it without discrimination. And you can do it with each other. And you can do it with the gospel. Friends, do it with the gospel. Do it with each other. Mission, mission Fellowship here in Salem. Go. Make disciples. Because the success of the church rests on the head of the church. Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've established here already. We, we ask that you would continue to establish it. Make a great name for yourself uh, here in, in our capital city. God, we ask that we would be freed from the notions that this discipleship depends on us, it depends on you. So empower us to go by your spirit and, and by your word through the gospel. Would you, would you help Mission Fellowship, be faithful to follow Jesus because the success rests on you and you alone. We pray, King Jesus, that you would give great success for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.